Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. So as I mentioned, today we are concluding our 17-week sermon series on the Holy Spirit called Present, exploring the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. So first we looked at the Holy Spirit's presence, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, and we looked at who he is and how he's the third person of the Trinity. He's not some ethereal force, but he's a real person. He's got characteristics. He does things. Then we looked at his presence in the life of the follower of Jesus and all of what that presence does and what that means and how he indwells us and he empowers us. And then we looked at the power of the Holy Spirit and how he he adds so many amazing things in the life of the follower of Jesus. And it really has been a joy to explore who he is, what his presence means, and how he gives us his supernatural power to live out the Christian life. And so we're concluding this mini-series on the Holy Spirit's power today by talking about an often misunderstood theology of tongues. So some of you might be joining us and are at different levels of understanding or experience with tongues, but I want to give a brief overview and teaching on the Holy Spirit's gift of tongues and what that means for you and me and what the Bible says about tongues. And so let me give you a brief definition of what tongues are to to bring us all kind of in a shared language up to speed on what the gift of tongues is. The gift of tongues is the enablement of followers of Jesus by the Holy Spirit to speak in a language they have not yet learned and do not yet understand. So it is in a multiple amount of lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. And I want you to see how Paul uses them and uses this idea of tongues together with other spiritual gifts. They're not elevated above them, but they're not diminished either. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. And I want to read this long, couple longer passages because I want you to see where tongues fits in with the other spiritual gifts. Now, Paul is speaking to his friends in Corinth. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to that same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what he's saying is is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, because he talked at the very beginning that gifts but the same Spirit, service but the same Lord, and activities but the same God who empowers them. So the Trinity is working together to empower us, to empower followers of Jesus with special gifts to accomplish his mission in the world. And there's a lot of different types of gifts, and they're all empowered through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within the life of the believer. There's a lot of gifts, but they all are for the common good, and some of these gifts pertain to tongues. Now, tongues and the interpretation of tongues are among this variety of spiritual gifts, but not everyone has that gift. Look with me at Paul's explanation further down in that same chapter. He says... 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. There's tongues again. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then the very next verse, which we're actually going to get into in a few minutes, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am like a, like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He's essentially saying love is the highest gift that we can give and receive. But what I have found with this idea of tongues, remember tongues is kind of in the middle of a bunch of different gifts, is that if there is an underemphasis on tongues, there can be much confusion. And I think that certain people have grown up without a good emphasis and a teaching on what tongues are. And so when you walk into a context and people are speaking in tongues, this, this underemphasis can cause you to be confused and not know how to approach it in a biblical way. Now, there has been times in certain cultural contexts where there's an overemphasis on tongues, and that can cause a lot of hurt. So now some of you watching this, and I kind of know where at least the people in our church are. Now, now you might be watching this from another church or another part of the country, but I know that our people in our church have at least three different types of experiences with tongues. Some of you have never heard of tongues before, and this is kind of the first time you're hearing about this, and you're like, okay, why is Josh making such a big deal about this? Let's just learn about it. I really hope that this sermon just simply explains to you where we get the gifts of tongues from in the Bible and how you can understand them and if you have that gift or not. Okay, so some of you have never even heard of this before and this is your first time hearing about it. Some of you have spoken in tongues. And what I really hope this sermon does is it brings clarity on what the Holy Spirit might have been doing when you were speaking in tongues. Now, some of you have also been deeply hurt by people that have expected you to speak in tongues as either proof of your salvation or proof of your spiritual maturity. And what I hope to show you is I hope to bring a little healing to that hurt in your life and to show you how this was never supposed to be the case. So here's our main point for today. As we walk by the Spirit and submit to his power within us, some of us are empowered to speak in languages we have not yet learned for our own personal encouragement, to share the good news of Jesus with others, or to display God's power in a local church. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about four points. We're going to see that tongues are real languages. Tongues can be used for private prayer. They can be used for corporate encouragement. And they can be used to display God's saving power. So first, tongues are real languages. So let me bring you to Acts 2. And before we put that on the screen, <clears throat> let me set the scene. Jesus has just resurrected from the dead and he's ascended into heaven. And what he did was he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit arrived. And he said, hey guys, you're going to know when he comes, but I need you to wait. I need you not do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. So what are they doing? These few believers that are following Jesus, they're huddled together, they're in a room together, and they're in a prayer meeting. And boom, this happened. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, at this rushing kind of waters and these tongues of fire coming, at this sound, this multitude of people came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in in our own language? So Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? <clears throat> so, you can see that there's a lot going on in this first day. This is a pretty important day in the history of the world and in the history of God's church. So there's this, they're praying in an upper room. There's this rushing wind that happens. These visible like tongues looking like, fi- like tongues of fire coming down. Um, immediately, the people in that upper room were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And remember, we've spent weeks talking about what this means to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so all this came on all those believers and followers of Jesus all at once. And then they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Guys, this was like a wild time. Like, I can't even imagine what these people must have been experiencing. So now they have the Holy Spirit, and they're like, okay, well, I guess the Holy Spirit's here. And so they they're walk outside, and all of a sudden, there's a multitude of people that are surrounding the building that they're in that heard what they heard in that upper room, that, that, that were experiencing something, and they were like drawn to it. And then when they start talking about Jesus, they're like, oh, hey guys, let me tell you what just happened. We just got the Holy Spirit. Let's tell you about Jesus. All of a sudden, they're speaking in their native tongue, but everyone else is hearing it in their native tongue. It's bonkers, right? And Jerusalem was like a, was like a trading hub in the Middle East. So I want you to think of it like New York City, how New York City has boroughs and has people that speak all different types of languages that are living in the city. So there's people in the city from all over the world, and it's absolutely bonkers. They start walking out there, hey, hey guys, let me tell you what just happened, because they want to tell people about Jesus, because now Jesus said, hey, look, I want you to make disciples, but you got to wait till the Holy Spirit came, and you're going to know when it came, and guess what? They knew, because he came, and he made himself real clear that he was there, and then they walk outside, and they're like, oh, now we get to share about Jesus. And now everybody's hearing it in their own language. And, and it's so crazy. Let's go back and look at Acts 2, 6-7. At the sound, the multitude came together. They're bewildered because each one was hearing in their own language. They're amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They're like, how, how is this Galilean guy, how is this fisherman who's like never even been our, our, to Rome or out of this region, how in the world is he speaking to me in my own language? And they're, they're, they're asking this question, Acts 2.8, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? We hear them telling in our own tongues what? The mighty works of God. So clearly, this is real languages. And they're speaking to one another, and they're saying, hey, look, like how in the world are we hearing about this? So Peter, what happens right after that is Peter, who's one of the 12 apostles, he's one of the closest people to Jesus, he begins to preach a sermon. And actually, that sermon is recorded in Acts 2. It's an awesome sermon. It's amazing. And you should go back and read it because it's bonkers. It's great. And he's talking to them about Jesus. He's talking about them as salvation. He's talking about, about how God has saved them through the work of Jesus. 
and they're all hearing it in their own language. And then this is what happens in Acts 2, verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Because he pretty much said, hey, the Messiah came and you crucified him. But guess what? He rose from the dead and he wants to save you. So they're all kind of wondering what to do. And Peter said to them these words. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. So I want you to think about this for a second. They were all hearing Peter's sermon in their own language. And over the course of like a two-page sermon, it probably was like a 10-minute sermon because it's recorded in Acts. It's not that long. They completely forgot that they were like seeing a miracle of tongues happen in front of them. They're cut to the heart because of the message of Jesus and they believe in Jesus and boom, the church gets started on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people come to faith. It's like a Holy Spirit turbo boost for the church and all of a sudden now they're like 3,000 people getting baptized in one day and the church starts, boom, right there. I want you to notice something. The miracle of tongues was eclipsed by the message of Jesus. Like the message of Jesus was so much more important and valuable that they totally forgot about the fact that they're hearing it in their own language, even though that person doesn't know their language. What they're fascinated about is Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is pointing them to Jesus. The gift of tongues, this real languages, this thing was pointing the people who heard it to Jesus and it had massive effects in the early church. And so I think that's really important because a lot of times in certain contexts, people have focused so much on the gift of tongues that they've lost sight of what tongues are meant to do is just point us to Jesus, right? And so what we see here, and he also said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And it says 3,000 people were repented and baptized, right? It doesn't say that they also received the gift of tongues. It doesn't also say that they started doing it. That's not a prerequisite. It's just that God needed the message to go out and the gift of tongues is the best way to do it. Peter very efficiently preached one sermon in one language and it hit like a bunch of other languages and a bunch of people chose to follow Jesus. So what we see from Acts 2 is that tongues, the gift of tongues, are real languages. But here's a, here's a curveball, okay? Tongues are also angelic languages as well, all right? So let me explain Look with me at 1 Corinthians 13.1. Paul's saying this. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Okay, so tongues are real languages. Sometimes they're human languages, like we just read in Acts 2, but we also see in 1 Corinthians, sometimes it can be in an angelic language. So you're like probably thinking to yourself, if you've never heard this before, you're like, that's bonkers. How, what does that mean? Why would I even need to know an angelic language? Well, that leads us to our next point, is that tongues can sometimes be used for private prayer. Now, to explain this, I'm going to let you in a, to a little bit about Rachel and I, okay? Um, Rachel and I have some unique jokes, and we have some phrases, we have some funny things that we do that really only makes sense to the two of us. And one of the things that we do, this is a little embarrassing to share, but I just it fits teaching this so well, is we will re- imagine the lyrics to pop songs, but we'll insert our dogs' names into them, and then we will sing them to our dogs and to one another. It's 
it's really kind of embarrassing when I say that out loud. It's kind of weird. But that's the whole point, and that's why I'm sharing this, is that we do this thing, and it's kind of, we're, Rachel and I are intimate with one another. We love one another. We spend a lot of time together, and we just kind of do weird things that make sense and that are funny to us. So we'll literally, like, just start singing a pop song, but then change the lyrics to talk about our dogs, and then we will sing them to our dogs because we're insane people. But anyway, Rachel's really good at this and she like makes up songs for our dogs on the fly and then we just laugh about it, right? Now, kind of pulling back a little bit, you might not, I really hope you don't sing songs to your dogs because that would be weird too. Um, I, again, I'm a little embarrassed saying that. But sometimes when you're intimate with another person, you kind of developed a shared language. You sometimes you develop a special language or unique thing in your relationship that's just special to the two of you. And that's kind of what tongues can be for some people. That, that, that can happen at times with praying to God. Now look with me at 1 Corinthians 4, 14 verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So tongues can be used to pray directly to God. And they can either be a personal prayer language or what I believe that they are is an angelic prayer language that you can pray back and forth to God. And then what was happening was is that people were doing this in a public way. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 14, 14. Paul's speaking to his friends. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Kind of like singing pop songs to your dogs. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So what Paul's saying here is that people that were, were using that private prayer language that was supposed to just be kind of shared between them and God, they were using it in a corporate church setting and it was causing a lot of confusion. So again, it would kind of be like you come over to my house for dinner and all of a sudden Rachel and I start to serenade you with pop songs to our dogs. And you would probably look at each other and you're like, oh, let's get out of here. This is weird. It would be really strange, right? It's weird enough that we do it. It's especially weird if you see us doing it. And Paul says, hey guys, it's kind of like you're doing that. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 14, 23. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds, right? So it's kind of like using that private prayer language in public is kind of like Rachel and I singing pop songs to our dogs around other people. You'd kind of think we're out of our minds, right? So what, what I'm trying to communicate here is that sometimes God gives us kind of a, because of intimacy with God, at times he can give us a unique language that we don't always understand in our personal prayer life. And so I want you to know this, especially if, as many of you are watching this are, are new followers of Jesus, or you've never heard a teaching on this before. And all of a sudden you might be praying and you might be speaking or communicating in a way that you don't quite understand. And I don't want you to get freaked out by that or think you're crazy. Uh, I just want you to know that that could be a private prayer language that God is giving you. Kind of like, again, Rachel and I having this intimate, um, like, joking kind of thing that we have just between us. And so tongues can be used for private prayer. But Paul is very specific to say, don't use that in public because it's not going to make sense to anybody and they're going to think you're weird. Okay, next, tongues can be used for corporate encouragement. So at times, so, so the, again, tongues are real languages. They can be human or angelic. Tongues can be used in your private prayer. Tongues can also be used for corporate encouragement. And at times in a corporate gathering of followers of Jesus, 
Tongues can be used to encourage and build up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 10 to 13, look what it says. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So sometimes God uses this gift of tongues to communicate a message to a gathering of believers. So someone would get up, they speak in a language that they don't understand, that other people in the room probably don't understand. But then what immediately happens afterwards is someone gets up and interprets that language into the common language of the people there, and people are encouraged and built up by that message. So essentially, if that would happen in the gathering, um, if we were like meeting at the YMCA, and this were to happen, and it might. I don't think that it will, but it might. Somebody will get up, and they're going to speak a bunch of stuff, and it's going to sound like gobbledygook. It's going to come out, blah, blah, blah. It's going to sound like it's not going to be understood to anybody else in the room except one person. So I would stop the sermon, and I'd say, hey, does anybody have an interpretation for this? Now, there might be someone there that's like, oh, I know what that person's saying. And they'll stand up, and they'll communicate, and that message, whatever they communicate in common English vernacular, should encourage the church, right? And I'll be like, oh, wow, that's cool. That's God giving somebody something, and giving somebody else a gift of interpretation. And then we see those two things working together, and they encourage the body. And the people in Corinth, it says, were eager for manifestations of the Spirit. They wanted to see signs. They wanted to see wonders. And so what they were doing, this is why Paul's writing this, is that they were speaking gibberish, but they weren't interpreting it. So there's just a bunch of people speaking gibberish all around, and nobody was actually saying what it meant, and so it wasn't encouraging to anybody. So Paul is writing to course correct here. He's not writing an instruction manual for tongues. He's saying, hey, you're doing something wrong. Here's what you should do right. So um, listen to this in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. It says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So, uh, really simple. If there's an interpretation, you share that, right? So you speak in a tongue, and then somebody else will interpret it. If there's not an interpretation, keep it to yourself. And actually what Paul is saying here is, I think he's alluding to the fact that that's actually probably just your private prayer language to God, and that should be between you and God and not anybody else. So, Tongues can be used for corporate encouragement if there is an interpretation. Finally, tongues can be used to display God's saving power. So to, uh, going back to the book of Acts, before we put that on the screen, um, there was a question in the early church. And this question was, can non-Jewish people truly be saved? Or if you were a Gentile, if you weren't a naturally born Jew, did you need to become a Jew in order to become a follower of Jesus? Because guess what? Jesus was a Jew, and the first people that came to faith were Jews, and they're trying to figure this whole thing out, right? So in Acts 10, we see how God uses tongues to answer the question of can non-Jewish people be saved? While Peter, who was a Jew, was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, 
And the believers from among the circumcised, those are Jewish people, who had come with Peter were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So again, question in the early church. Can non-Jewish people be saved? Boom, God answers them and displays his power to save by giving the Gentiles the gift of tongues, which was to demonstrate that yes, non-Jewish people can be fully saved and adopted into God's family. Now, you can see where someone could read this one text, this one passage, and say, now, if you become a Christian, you have to speak in tongues, right? Because, hey, look, it happened in Acts 10. But if you pull back and you look at the whole of the Bible, we see that you can be a follower of Jesus, you can hear, believe, and obey him, you can become a Christian and not speak in tongues. But it was for this reason, it was to demonstrate God's saving power. It was to put it on display, and it was actually to answer a very specific question. Because God's Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles around Jewish people that were in the room. And they're looking at him like, oh, the Gentiles have the same thing we have. So it's all cool. You don't have to become Jewish and go through all the customs, right? So it doesn't always happen that way. And there's been a lot of confusion about tongues and there's been hurt and harm from tongues that has happened because some people in the church believe that you have to speak in a language you do not yet know in order to prove that you're saved. And so there's been a lot of weird pressure put on people to speak in tongues when they don't have that gift and they don't want that gift just to prove that they're saved. And this is completely wrong and it's not biblical. So I just wanna say that right now. You don't need the gift of tongues in order to be a Christian. And you can be a Christian and not have the gift of tongues at all. And sometimes God does use the gift of tongues to show that you are Christian. So tongues can be used to display God's saving power, but it is not a formula. It's not a formula that you have to follow. So tongues can be confusing sometimes. And my friends, by all means, this is not a comprehensive teaching on it. We're not going to solve this problem in a hopefully 30 minutes. Or I don't have the time, but I'm hoping it's around 30 minutes. But what we see is that other people, godly people, people that love Jesus, have different perspectives on this. But from, from our vantage point, looking at the scriptures, seeing what the Bible plainly and clearly teaches, this is where our church stands on the gift of tongues. So tongues are real languages. Tongues can be used for private prayer. Tongues can be used for corporate encouragement if there is an interpretation and tongues can be used to display God's saving power, but it's not a formula. And Paul's final words on tongues are actually really helpful. And that's where I want to leave us today with this teaching and even conclude our time with the teaching on the Holy Spirit. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And so if you're joining us today, and I know that we kind of focused on this one specific thing, and, and I intentionally put this towards the end because I wanted us to learn a lot about the person of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of this message, at uh, the sermon series, 17 weeks ago. Um, I wanted us to learn about his presence and what his presence means in the life of the follower of Jesus. I want us to look at his power, his power to save, his power to give us spiritual armor, his power to help us change, his power to help us mature and grow to be more like Jesus. And then I wanted to add this at the very end because this isn't a central teaching on the Holy Spirit, but I do think it's important to bring up. So that's why I kind of added it at the end. 
And so if this is your first time watching us uh, or watching this sermon from this online gathering, um, you might be like, wow, Josh is teaching on tongues. It's like this really practical thing. But there's been a 17-week buildup to this. um, And this is just like a very small part of an overarching look at the Holy Spirit, his person, his presence, and his power. So if you look over the course of your life and you don't see a moment where you have chosen to follow Jesus, where you've actually put a stake in the ground, and you said, I'm going to make Jesus my Lord, and I'm going to obey him. My friends, tongues don't apply to you yet, but there is a better gift waiting for you today. You see, Jesus is the best gift of God sent to save us. Jesus actually is the one who's communicated with God on your behalf, and he wants to save you, and he wants to invite you in to his family, and then he wants to give you all these amazing gifts, and one of those gifts could be tongues. But In order to do that, you need to hear, believe, and obey the message of Jesus, that Jesus has taken the punishment that you and I deserve. He gives us grace that we don't deserve. And we must hear that he lived a perfect life on our behalf. We've got to believe that we need it. We actually have to have a humility that says, I need a perfect record of Jesus to come into his family. And then we need to obey by making Jesus Lord over our life. When you make Jesus Lord over your life, just like what happened in Acts 2 will happen with you immediately, whether you feel it or not, the Holy Spirit will immediately come into your life. Like he'll, he'll indwell you. He will empower you. His presence will be there to guide you. He will lead you into the truth of who Jesus is. He'll empower you to walk out a vision to look like Jesus for the rest of your life. And all of that can be yours if you hear, believe, and obey the message of Jesus. You hear that the message of Jesus for you, you believe that it's true for you, that you need it. And then you obey by making Jesus Lord over your life. Now, if you look back over the course of your life and you have done that at some point in time, you have put a stake in the ground, then my friend, I just want to encourage you, don't place any other requirement on yourself or on others to follow Jesus and be a Christian. It's hard enough to follow Jesus as it stands. Don't say you have to speak in tongues and don't, 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 don't shove it to the side either and say that doesn't happen anymore. Tongues are a gift, but not everyone has that gift. So don't be confused if you have this gift and don't be discouraged if you don't. Like, don't be confused if you have it. Don't be discouraged if you don't. Just as a reminder, as we walk by the Spirit, we submit to his power within us. Some of us are empowered to speak in languages we have not yet learned for our own personal encouragement, to share the good news of Jesus with others, or to display God's power in the local church. So this is it. We're done. We're done with present, exploring the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. It has been an incredible 17 weeks, and it has been done. I've been wanting to preach this sermon since we launched the church back in 2019. Like, I've been wanting to preach this sermon series since we launched the church back in 2019, and we've been building up to what we talked in the first year of our church. We almost centrally focused on the person of Jesus. And then Six months after that, we started looking at God the Father. We started looking at his attributes. And then last summer, we began a series called Words of Grace, where we began to look at all these different keywords in the Bible centered around God the Father, centered around God the Son, who is Jesus, and then centered on the Holy Spirit. So we began to introduce the Holy Spirit into our teachings. And then we carved out this 17 weeks to talk about who the Holy Spirit is, 
how he's present in our life and what he's doing and the power that he is bringing. And it has been a joy to follow along with you. Just a reminder, we are meeting next week in person, August 29th at the Clarksville area YMCA. And we're beginning a new sermon series on the book of Titus that's gonna take us deeply into the fall. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I hope to see you next week. Take care, bye. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.